You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. It's pretty difficult to just move on and get into a sermon. Um, and I don't think God really wants us to. You know, what I read in the scriptures is, the Bible says the church is supposed to literally feel like a body, like everyone a part of one body. Like if, if God had his way, he would want us all to feel so connected to one another and see the reality in his mind that you're all one body. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the very book we're studying, he's if one member suffers, the whole body suffers with that one member. There's no, no different than if, if, if you broke your finger right now, your whole body would feel it. And so there is this side of us where it's good and right for us to suffer as Britt and Kate and Isaiah are suffering right now. And, and, and this has uh, been going on in my mind, um, you know, just, just trying to think like what in the world uh, it would feel like, and to, to try to put yourself in their shoes, and um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know Daisy real well, but uh, did get to spend some time with her, did get to hang out with her, and my kids got to play with her, and um, you know, I have a girl the exact same age, I've got five kids, but one girl is uh, the same age as Daisy, and um, she's my favorite kid, and uh, <laughs> She is, and I, I, don't, I don't hide it. I just tell them, you know. Um, but I, I think, man, you know, my, my, my daughter names Ellie, and I think, gosh, how in the world do you move past that? You know, I, you know after I heard about Daisy, I look at my, my little eight-year-old and just look at her face and go, oh, you know, I don't know how I'd get beyond that. Um, and thinking about Britt and Kate and praying for them and just going, I, I don't know how you minister. I don't know how, I, I just have to guess and assume based upon God's word that God gives you the grace when that happens. Um, so we suffer with them and yet the Bible also says when one member rejoices or is honored that we all rejoice with that person. And I. I, I, I couldn't help but also feel this joy and excitement for Daisy, knowing everything that she suffered, and to think, man, I, 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 those who are she just had this beaming smile, and I just try to imagine, like, what is it like now? Um, in the presence of God, after the suffering for the last three years, it just boom, be in her presence. And there's this other part of us that God wants us to rejoice as she is rejoicing right now. And I tell you, I've done so many memorial service and it's this clash of these two extremes of like, I am so sad to miss this person right now. And I'm just so intensely excited for this person and and where she is. And, And it's like this ultimate range of emotion. Like I'm so so bummed out. I'm so thrilled and how you, you, you wrestle with all of that and you feel different things at different times. Um, but as I thought about Britt and Kate, I thought, you know, I, I know they would just want us, I know Britt's heart and he would be just like, man, Francis, don't, just, just teach the word, you know, just get up there and lay it out. And uh, uh, man, what a great, great time to just 
talk about Jesus and his goodness, why we can have peace at a time like this, and, and even this unity that God wants. This is good that we grieve with the Merricks, and it's good that we rejoice with the Merricks. I believe God looks down. He goes, I want to see you guys rejoicing together. I want to see you suffering together. Uh, God just loves unity, and one of the things that blows me away about the book of 1 Corinthians is, okay, I've been looking at the first couple of chapters because I know it's what you guys have been looking at. And what blows me away is, okay, this church in Corinth was so messed up. Okay, so messed up. And, and, and I know every church is. I mean, this one is. Every church is messed up, right? But the Corinthian church, I think they were on another level seriously when you read the things they were doing they were talking about congregation members joining themselves with prostitutes and thinking that was okay he says the immorality is so gross that he says you've got people you've got there's a guy in your church that's sleeping with his stepmother and you guys are actually proud of it that's where this church, the church, they were serving wine, you know, at communion, and people would come early and they would get drunk off of that wine. Okay? Not only that, there were people in the church that were teaching that there was no resurrection from the dead. There were people in the church that would say, hey, the Spirit just told me something. The Spirit just told me something. I got a word from the Lord. Jesus Christ is cursed. This is going on in the church. All these things are addressed in 1 Corinthians. And what blows me away is amidst all of that, the first thing that Paul writes to this church is he goes, hey, I hear there's divisions among you. I'm going, what? That's the first thing you're going to address? That's the, this church is so screwed. That's the first thing you're going to address is, hey, I heard some of you don't like each other. I, I heard that there's some uh, bragging in the room, like, oh, I follow Apollos. I think Paul's a better pastor. You, you, you know, you're bragging about who baptized you, and Paul writes this letter. He goes, man, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any of you. You see, you go, ooh, I got baptized by Paul. He goes, man, this is just silliness. This, this arguing about who's better than who. Oh, I was, I was baptized by Lomas. You know, oh, you were baptized by Tarek. I don't even know if that works. You know, it's just like this... <laughs> And Paul's just going, what are you guys doing? But it blows me away that with all of the issues in the church, the first thing he addresses is, you guys, you're divided. You guys aren't unified. You're not this one body. I, I, that's, that's, that's just silliness. And I, I love the words, um, the, the phrase he uses in... Um, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, when he says, aren't you merely being human when you do that? He goes, well, what's this division stuff I hear about? He goes, that's so, you're acting like humans. I, I love that phrase. I, I, this first time I caught it was this week going, what? He says, you're acting just like mere humans. He says, as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you should be at a different level. You don't act just like everyone else. You don't gossip like everyone else. You don't divide like everyone else. You don't compete and say, oh, this speaker's better than that speaker. This guy's smarter than that. Paul says, I'm hearing this stuff from you. And that's what he chooses to address. 
And he explains to them, he says, you know, the world, in the world, see, in, in the world, if we were merely humans, we would come in this room and go, man, I wonder who's the richest person in this room. I wonder who has the most amount of money. So this is the way the world thinks. I wonder who's the most intelligent in this room. Ever wonder that? To walk in, I go, I wonder who the most intelligent person is in this room. If we were just of the world, we would come in and we would just look at physical beauty. We, we, would, we, would, we would categorize people like the rest of the world does. Paul says that's what the world does. He goes, but what God does, and this is the stuff you've been studying, God says God actually chooses the most foolish people on earth to lead his kingdom. And, and that's what he says to that Corinthian church. He goes, man, you, you guys, don't you understand? Everything's different in God's kingdom. God actually specifically chooses the foolish, those who maybe aren't the most intelligent, to shame those who are. He, and he says specifically in chapter 1, verse 29, two words, so that no one can boast. Like it's so important to God that no one brags. That no one is arrogant. And so as these Corinthians are trying to divide based upon who they thought they were, was better, and like, well, we're, you know, we're at Reality Church. Well, we're at Cornerstone. Well, we're at, he goes, you know what? Stop it. This isn't what this is about. Man, God chose the foolish for this very reason because he doesn't like bragging. He doesn't like people talking about other people and lifting up the way the world does. And so last week, the thing that uh, uh, Dave was teaching about was he, he explains how Paul says, look, when I came to you, I purposely didn't use superior speech. I specifically did. This is crazy to me. Paul says, I came to you in weakness and trembling. I specifically didn't try to sound smart. I thought, man, that was convicting because I so often do the opposite. You, you know, you try to sound more intelligent than you are. Ever do that? You know, you're in a room of people where you know these guys are sharp, so you just you nod your head and pretend you understand something when you're I have no clue. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I do that. I get in a room, people are talking about things I don't get, and I just nod my head. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. You know, we do that. And Paul's saying, man, when I came to you, I did the opposite. I knew stuff, and I, 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 I simplified. I, I didn't, he goes, for two reasons. He goes, one, I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I didn't, I specifically speak a certain way, so when you walk out that room, you don't go, wow, Paul's brilliant. Because Paul's saying, you know what? God chose the foolish so that no one would boast, so that the only person we brag about, chapter 1, verse 31, if anyone boasts, he just boasts in the Lord. He just says, God is so good. Jesus is so good. That's all we need to know. He goes, but and I'm going to teach in a way so that you don't talk about me. And he goes, and I'm going to teach in a way so that the cross is not emptied of its power. He goes, because if I make it all about this and that and have this superior speech set out for you, you're going to walk out the door talking about me and not the cross, and that's going to empty the cross of its power. He goes, so I come, I come with a simple, foolish message of the cross. 
Now, having said that, I mean, which is, which is so foreign, um, it's so opposite to say, I'm going to speak in a way that doesn't draw attention to me. Because the world teaches, you know what, you want attention. Draw attention to yourself. All publicity is good publicity. You know, let's, let's draw attention to ourselves one way or another. That's the wisdom of the world. And Paul says, let me teach in a way that no one thinks of me, so we just brag about Jesus. We just boast about him. So let me specifically, purposely keep it simple. But having said that, in verse 6, chapter 2, where we start our passage today, he says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, so he goes, he goes, don't get me wrong. Okay, yes, we're not like the world. I'm not going to come here and try to sound all brilliant. He goes, but that doesn't mean that there's no wisdom being exchanged here. He goes, we do impart wisdom. Okay, but, he, but it's, it's specifically, he says, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Okay, so understand, this is not about you have to have a certain, uh, you know, IQ to get this. He says that the way you get this wisdom is through maturity. And, and later on in, uh, in chapter 3, um, in fact, let's just, uh, yeah, let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, so he says, okay, here's immature. He goes, I can't address you guys as spiritual, he says to this church in Corinth, because there's divisions among you. He goes, when you're, you're saying, oh, I like this guy, I like this guy, I like this guy. He goes, man, that's, that's, you're acting like humans. He goes, I can't impart this spiritual wisdom to you. I can't address you as spiritual people. So, so here he's saying, look, I am here to impart wisdom, but it's going to look different from the world. This wisdom you can only get if you're mature. And he says to his church, I can tell you guys aren't going to get it because you're fighting. There's an immaturity. There's an unspiritual nature to this. He goes, because I do want to communicate wisdom. He says, although, verse 6 again, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Okay. From what I understand in this passage, there is a possibility of imparting wisdom today that comes from God. Like a supernatural hidden wisdom that somehow the creator before the beginning of time had decided this, that he could impart this, he would impart this secret hidden wisdom to people. 
Okay, he says, but this is different. He goes, this is wisdom. He goes, but it's not the wisdom of this age. He goes, this is a greater wisdom. Okay, last week, Dave kind of made, you know, talked through a, a verses one through five and explained that, okay, some of our stuff, it's gonna sound foolish. It's not gonna sound like the world. We're not gonna look real wise. And so that's why in verse six, he goes, but it actually is a wisdom. There is a wisdom. In fact, it's better than that worldly wisdom that's out there. He says, because that worldly wisdom, why is it so great? Because look at the results. Look what he says. It's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of the age who are doomed to pass away. So he says, there's these wise people out there in the world that will sound brilliant. There'll be these rulers and leaders that are going to look like, oh man, they are so on top of it. And what he says is they're actually doomed to pass away. So yeah, they can look brilliant, they can look powerful, they can look successful, but what happens at the end of it? He goes, no, this wisdom, he says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. See, so one wisdom ends in being doomed, the other wisdom ends in glory. And so it's one of those things where you have to ask yourself, and think about this, am I willing to look foolish now for a future glory? See, I, I, I hate looking stupid. I don't know, I, that's just, just, I'm just telling you in the flesh, I hate looking stupid. I hate sounding stupid. I hate being in a room and just, I hate ridic- being, ri- anything. well, there's a foolishness to, to the cross. And are you willing to hold on to that, even if it makes you feel dumb, knowing that it's for your glory? Or do you want the opposite? Do you want to look good and look wise and appear you know, so intelligent, but then at the end, you're doomed to pass away? So that's a weird thing about the gospel. In verse 8, he says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So he says, the rulers, the most powerful people in the world, they didn't have this wisdom. He goes, obviously, because look, they crucified Jesus. And in the same way, he says, that's the way you can tell the people that are crucifying Jesus today. Because they're not getting this wisdom that's coming from God. And then in verse 9, He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, this wisdom, how do we get it? He says, here's how you don't get it. He says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard. No eye has seen, nor ear heard. How do we acquire information? It's through what we're doing right now. You're listening, right? You're listening, or it's through your eyes or through your ears that you acquire information. 
This is the way we normally get information. You know, you read something or you hear something. You acquire, and I know, yeah, you could touch and learn a little bit or taste something and go, okay, that's sweet. You know, but for the most part, your eyes and your ears is where you take in information. And he says this wisdom from God, it's not like other wisdom where you can look at something and learn it or you could hear something and absorb it. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. And then, I I think this is a very important phrase for our, our, our time. He says, nor the heart of man imagined. He says, you don't take in the information by gathering information through your eyes and ears. He goes, and your heart also doesn't imagine it. No heart has ever, has ever imagined. You see, the reason why I say this is so important for us today is there are so many people now that say, well, in my heart, I believe. I imagine God to be this way. And God's saying, you can't just imagine something. That doesn't work. You can't acquire it from the outside And it doesn't spring up from inside your brilliant heart or your brilliant mind. He goes, I've got to give it to you. He says, see, this this gets rid of all the arrogance that says, oh, I have one of these minds. It's like an iron trap or steel trap, whatever you call it. Um, Is that the same thing, steel and iron? Pretty much. Is it? Some of you are like, oh, I know, I know. You don't know. <laughs> you can Google it right now. Um, it's it's a whole idea of some of you, you. You pride yourself like, okay, if I research this enough, I'll get it. And others pride yourself like, no, no, no. I'm just this deep spiritual person, and I just know these spiritual things. And what God's saying is, no, no, I see, no ears heard, no, no mind imagined this. See, we live in a very, very arrogant culture, time, where people somehow believe they can conjure up something from within, like, I think God is, do you you know how arrogant that statement is? That you, as a created being, figured out God? Like, you imagined him to be a certain way, based upon your desire, That, 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 that would be like, could you imagine like two mosquitoes right here? And they're just looking at me going, hmm, I think I got Francis figured out. <laughs> Do they even have antennas? <laughs> Google that. <laughs> um, okay, I know you got one of these. Hey, I think I got Francis figured out, you know? It's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I get his heart. I understand. You know what I think, Francis, this is, it's like, are you kidding me? You've got me figured out. I mean, you understand the arrogance in that. In in the same way, do you understand how insulting it is to Almighty God who says, man, you know, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Like my, 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 my thoughts are so much infinitely higher than you. So for me as a human being going, man, in my mind, I imagine God to be like this. That's so arrogant. 
I've got them figured out. So I can figure them out. Either through my little human eyes or my little human ears or my human mind can imagine and figure them out. He goes, come on, we're talking about a secret hidden wisdom. This way there's no bragging. This way no one can boast because I got to give it to you. He says, that's the only way. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's saying there's no way of you knowing what God has prepared for you. Remember how he says, you know what, this is to your glory. This wisdom's going to lead to your glory. He goes, but your mind can't figure that out, what he's prepared for you. So how do you figure out? He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now listen to this, verse 10. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, so right now, God in heaven... What the Bible says is that the Spirit searches everything. The Holy Spirit of God searches everything. He says the Spirit actually searches the depths of God. Okay, you got that? The Holy Spirit is is searching inside of God, the very depths, the core of who God is. He knows everything. He says, otherwise, how how can you know what's, what's inside of God? How do you know his thoughts? Your mind can't imagine it. Your eyes and ears can't take it in. It's, it's just like you. He says, who even knows the heart of a man? Okay. I'm thinking of something right now. I want you to try to, ima- try to figure out what I'm thinking. I'll even try to communicate it to you. Seriously, no, I'm, I'm serious. Seriously, try. Because this would be freaky if you could get it. Okay. Who has a guess? Pie? pie? <laughs> Why do I look like a guy that just eats pie? Okay, uh, no, no, but thanks. Um, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? Close. My daughter, no. That's a good guess, though. Now, I, I was picturing a, I don't know why, I was picturing a penguin um, <laughs> with a scarf ice skating. Okay, so what he says, <laughs> there's a point to that. He's going, because verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person. The only way you could have gotten that is is if somehow I could stick my mind in you and you can go, oh, that's what Francis is thinking. I get it. He goes in the same way. He goes, just like you you can't just imagine what's in someone else's mind. He says, but my spirit, of course, I know what I'm thinking. 
And if there's some way that I could take the core of my being and put it into you and get you to think the way that I think and see what I see, he goes, that'd be the only way. And see, this is so intense. This is so intense. He says that, that somehow this is a miracle, okay? He says there's this way that God instructs us where the very Spirit of God, who knows everything inside the being of God, is freely put into us. And so suddenly, like God puts his very spirit into me, and his spirit searches the depths of God and knows everything that's in the mind of God. And he says, you've been given that now. And among the mature, there's a way that we can communicate. There's a way that God imparts wisdom to us that isn't by us just figuring it out through more research, and it certainly isn't from it springing up from within us in our heart imagining it, but there's this miracle that takes place where God says his very spirit enters into us and we receive him and then he freely helps us understand the things of God. And I don't know how to explain that. He says somehow when that spirit enters into you, your very being cries out, Abba, Father. Like there's somehow where you just go, God, in the core of my being, I know you love me. Like I know that I'm your kid and that I'm your child. I, I, don't, I don't get it somehow in my spirit. I know that there's this future glory for me that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has revealed to me through the Spirit. Somehow God has shown me my future is okay. His spirit teaches me that I'm going to be just fine and that kill me. I could care less. I don't fear that because he's given me this eternity with him. And in my spirit, I know he cares for me. And I cry out, Daddy, to my heavenly father. And how do you explain that? And I there's this beauty in this passage where God does impart this wisdom and then there's a frustration in our own pride because here's the frustrating part there's nothing I can do to make you get it I, I, and that's hard for me because I pride myself on being a communicator like I go, okay, I know how to break it down so that an eight-year-old could get it. You know, like I, I just think, you know, I have my kids at home and I, I'm trying to teach them these deep concepts. And I go, okay, it's like this squirrel. You know, and I, I just, you know, I can make you get this. You know, I got a story that'll make you cry. You know, I, I got a, you know, so those are my thoughts. It's like, okay, God, I want these people to fall in love with you, so I know I'm going to use my gift of communication so they get how great you are and fall in love with you. And God's saying, you can't do that. 
And then there's others of you that are, that you are, you're very intelligent. God made you so intelligent, so perceptive, and you do, you remember things. Like you learn something, you remember, you take in information, you're at the top of your class, and you pride yourself on going, no, I can get this. If I just work hard enough, if I work hard enough for this, I can pull it off. I, I know I can. I, I, I have figured everything out. Some of you have those minds where you just figure out how things work and you go, I'm going to get it. And, and what the Bible says is you can't get it. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. You just can't do it. It's something that God does. And this is a very common theme in Scripture. In fact, Jesus, Jesus himself says in John uh, 6, verse 63, he says, uh, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. He says it's all up to the spirit. The spirit gives life. The flesh is of no help. That's hard. That's hard, you know. In the flesh, you want to think, I can do it. No, I can commit. Come on, the flesh helps a little bit. He goes, no, the flesh is no help at all. It's like the only way you can know the thoughts of God is if his spirit enters in you and reveals this stuff to you. It's up to him. This makes us all dependent on him. Even Jesus, Jesus, when, when, uh, when Peter finally got it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, he says, uh, can you do that? Because I don't remember it. Okay, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When, when, when Peter finally goes, I get it, you're the Messiah, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. This is what we've been waiting for in the whole Old Testament. And Jesus goes, you got it. He goes, but I didn't didn't get that to you. That had to come from heaven. He goes, flesh and blood, the the flesh doesn't help any. Something spiritual has to happen. So with that, I just want you to know, I, I prayed this week for you because I know there's people that came into this room and uh, you don't believe in Jesus you, you think some of the stuff we do in here is crazy you think your friends that brought you are crazy um, and I based upon this passage I thought I can't just come here and in the flesh, I don't want to show you prophecy and explain, go, oh, explain that. You, you know, I want to like show you archaeology. I, I want to show you all these different things and prove to you intellectually somehow that, and the Bible says, there's nothing you can do. And that you, you actually are supposed to just keep it so simple that there's actual power in that. And whether the wisdom gets imparted or not is not up to me. I'm not, I don't have the power to do that. I just have to look at you as foolish as it sounds to you because it goes against everything you've been taught. You are a created being. You have a creator. That's going to sound foolish to some of you. 
But I'm telling you right now, you have a creator. You are not a random accident or a product of chance. And you have rebelled against your creator. Just by living life the way you want to live it, that's saying to the one who created you, I'm not following you. I'm doing what feels good to me. I have the right to do what I want. That's the same thing that Eve and Adam did. It's like, I'll I'll eat of that fruit if I want. That's rebellion, despite what people tell you. This will sound foolish to you, but God, your creator, he has the right to punish I know, this goes against what everyone, but you you read this book from the beginning, Adam and Eve, he had the right to curse them, the ground. He had the right to curse Cain. He had the right to kill everyone on the earth, save uh, Noah and his family. He punished and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He slayed the firstborn of all of Egypt. And when you read the end of this book, There's a lot more killing to go, a lot more destruction to go, and even torment day and night forever and ever. He has the right to do that, to punish you. But God, that all-powerful being loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son He had Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator, who knew no sin. He came down on the earth, took the form of an infant, grew up, was persecuted, died on a cross. And on that cross, He was paying for your crimes. See, God, in His fairness, had to punish. But rather than punishing us, He says, I'm going to demonstrate to all of you love like you've never seen before. I'm going to put on display love like you've never seen. I'm going to have my own son die on a cross. And he's going to pay for your crimes. We, we started this service grieving over the death of Daisy Merrick. Imagine a father choosing and saying, I love you, so I'm going to let my son be crucified for your sake. And if you believe that, you can be forgiven. I know you've been told you're a good person, you're not. And you've been told that you can do enough good works. Well, I think I'm a good person, I do more good than bad. You need need the sacrifice of Christ. You need to be forgiven. Jesus Christ then rose from the grave and offers you new life. Everyone in this room right now, Jesus is alive and well, sitting at the right hand of God, and he's offering all of you life, saying, you can't do this on your own. I will give you a power. I will put my spirit into you. And what he says is, you need to repent and be baptized, and you will be filled with this spirit of God. That you repent. Despite maybe what you've even been taught in churches, you can't just add Jesus as a friend. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Oh yeah, I'll take Jesus too. 
No, Jesus says you repent. That means you turn. You, that's what baptism is, is you die to yourself. Going in the water is like a bear. Like I'm, I'm just done with Francis. I'm done with me and just what I want to do and what I think or whatever. I recognize I, I have a creator, a creator who loves me and, and actually had his own son die for me. That kind of love, man, I'm ready to just die to myself and I'm going to follow him. Now. I'm done following me. I'm following him. I'm turning. I was following myself and my own desires. Repenting means I do a 180, and now I'm going to, I, I see Jesus. I'm following him. And now put your spirit in me, Lord, so that I can be this person that you, you created me to be, and I can get this wisdom that comes from God. And the Bible says that the, the best way I can proclaim to you the truth of what happened was Jesus says, take a piece of bread. Just break it. Jesus says, okay, look at this. I'm proclaiming to you. Some of you are going to think this is so foolish and others are going to go, I get it. I so get it. I'm ready to leave everything for it. This bread represents the body of Christ. Jesus, this is how I want you to remember me. This is my body broken for you. I want you to take and eat it. He says this, this, this cup says that we live under a new covenant. It represents the blood of Jesus. It's because his body was broken, his blood was shed that I'm given new life, I'm forgiven and his spirit is in me just for belief in this. So we take of the cup, take of the bread. And he says, as long as you eat of the bread, take of the cup, you're proclaiming my death until I return. That's what I'm doing to you right now. I'm telling you that Jesus, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. I'm not ashamed of that. And he put his spirit in me so that I could know him. Father, as we come into this time of worship, God, I just recognize there's nothing I can do to make people fall in love with you and to know you. And so I just beg you one more time that you from heaven would reveal truth to people in this room as we remember the body and blood of Jesus. Amen.